the History of the Crusades podcast presents Reconquista, the rise of Al-Andalus and the reconquest of Spain. Episode 28, The End of the Caliphate Hello again. Last time we saw the demise of the supremely confident but not so smart Sanchuelo, who set in place plans to make himself the next caliph of Al-Andalus and the founding member of a new dynasty, but who ended up instead being killed following a backlash against his plans. A member of the Umayyad dynasty, a man called al-Mahdi, then seized power and produced a body, reportedly that of the former caliph Hisham II. His moves to water down Berber influence inside the military, however, sparked a Berber uprising, with the Berbers selecting their own Berber-friendly caliph, a man named Suleiman whom they recognised as the true ruler of Al-Andalus. When no one else recognised Suleiman as the true caliph, the Berbers went on the attack, forcing al-Mahdi to flee from Cordoba and take refuge in Toledo. Yes, things are an absolute mess, and unfortunately, the chaos is only just beginning. Now, Just to recap, as at the end of the year 1009, the former caliph Hisham II is apparently dead, and Cordoba is currently under the control of the Berbers, who are occupying it with their Christian allies from Castile. The Berbers have installed their man Suleiman as caliph. Almadi is in Toledo with his military general, who is also the governor of the Middlemarch region, a man called Wadi. What happens next? Well, Almadi wants to march on Cordoba and seize it back from the Berbers, but General Wadi tells him that they need more men. Luckily for Almadi, General Wadi, being the ruler of a vast area near the Pyrenees, has connections with the Christians, not from the north, but from Catalonia, and he is able to negotiate with the current Count of Barcelona, Raymond Burrell I, and his brother, the Count of Orhel, to bring their armies to Toledo. Almighty, General Wadi and the Catalans then march down to Cordoba, where they manage to defeat the Berbers and their Castilian allies in June of the year 1010. Unfortunately for the long-suffering residents of Cordoba, who have just endured the plundering of their city by the Berbers and their Christian allies from Castile, the city was now plundered once again by a new set of Christians, the men from Catalonia. Unsurprisingly, 
the Catalans were loathed by the residents of Córdoba. Almadi reinstalled himself as the caliph with the idea that General Wadi would handle the administrative and military side of things, but the two men found themselves caught between a rock and a hard place. They could only maintain their grip on power with the assistance of their military forces, but those military forces themselves, particularly the extremely unpopular Catalans, were causing them to lose the support of the people of Córdoba. After a short period of attempting to rule while ignoring the discontent of their subjects, Almighty finally decided that the Catalans needed to go. Unfortunately for Almighty, General Wadi then used the unrest and turmoil caused by the departing Catalans to stage a coup. With the support of some local military commanders, Wadi accused Almighty of being the source of conflict and discord inside the administration. Almighty was arrested on the 23rd of June in the year 1010, was placed on trial, found guilty, then executed. This left a power vacuum at the top of the administration with the caliphate now needing a caliph. Luckily for everyone, there was a caliph somewhere out the back, hiding in a dusty cupboard. Who was this mysterious, dust-covered caliph? Well, it was none other than Hisham II, who, contrary to all previous reports, wasn't actually dead after all. Hisham, though, as we all know, lacks one crucial attribute required by the ruler of Al-Andalus, and that attribute was the ability to actually rule Al-Andalus. Hisham was used to more powerful men ruling Al-Andalus on his behalf, while he stayed inside whatever palace he was told to stay inside, and did precisely whatever he was told to do. So, to cut a long story short, if the people of Cordoba were hoping that Hisham would now unite the caliphate and lead them out of the deep dark hole they currently found themselves in, well, they were about to be disappointed. One group of people who weren't disappointed by this turn of events, though, were the Berbers. When they had been forced out of Cordoba by Almadi and the Catalans, they hadn't dispersed and scattered across the peninsula. Instead, they had all retreated to the south, to the mountains of Andalusia, where they had regrouped and had begun plotting their comeback. Their comeback took the form of a blockade or siege of Cordoba, which began late in the year 1010, and which would last for the next three years. The siege of Cordoba was terrible news for the citizens of Cordoba, who had already been forced to endure the plundering and destruction of many buildings in their town by two separate armies. 
General Wadi had been tasked with negotiating a way out of the siege with the Berbers, but his efforts were unsuccessful, and by November of the year 1011, conditions had become so dire inside Cordoba that Wadi decided to attempt to escape from the city. He was intercepted while doing so and was executed for his efforts by his own allies. So, who was in charge of Cordoba now? Well, officially, Hisham II was in charge, which was bad news for everyone. Unofficially, though, it was pretty much everyone for themselves. For the next 18 months, Cordoba and the residents of Cordoba truly suffered. Much of the city was destroyed during this time, either by desperate residents, by Berber raids, or by defenders attempting to break the siege. To pile misery upon misery, the city was also ravaged by a combination of severe floods and fires. By May of the year 1013, everyone had had enough. The garrison of Cordoba agreed to make one final attempt to break the siege. They did so, and it failed. Their only option now was to reach out to the Berbers to try and reach some sort of agreement. Some sort of an agreement was reached, with the Berbers apparently agreeing to let everyone inside Cordoba walk free following the payment of a massive amount of money. The massive amount of money was duly handed over, but the Berbers reneged on their side of the agreement, letting most of the ordinary citizens of Cordoba walk free from the city, but hunting down and killing many of the military men, as well as a number of bureaucrats and scholars. Then, to place the cherry on top of their victorious pie, the Berbers set fire to the city, meaning that many buildings not already destroyed were burned to the ground. The royal palace was destroyed at this time, as was Medinat al-Zara. To be fair, Medinat al-Zara had been abandoned and had been subsequently raided for building materials over many years by this time, but the Berbers made sure that its destruction was complete. According to Roger Collins in his book Caliphs and Kings of Spain, in the ruins of Medinat al-Zara which survive to this day, you can see splashes of molten metal on the floor of the audience chamber, which was caused by the destruction of the roof of the chamber after it was set on fire by the Berbers. So you might be wondering, amidst all this chaos... What was happening to the Caliph? Well, Hisham II was captured by the Berbers and was accused of breaking the promise he made when the Berbers' Caliph Suleiman was installed in the year 1009. 
Now, unfortunately, I haven't been able to discover exactly what this promise was, but it seems to imply that Hisham was involved in the staging of his own fake death, and had likely agreed to stay fake dead on a permanent basis. Hisham II, being Hisham II, of course completely agreed with the Berbers that he had failed to live up to this expectation. Pun intended. Hisham then publicly apologised to the people of Cordoba and agreed once again to abdicate the throne. Hisham then may have become actually dead. One source reports that he was strangled by Suleiman's son, Muhammad, while other sources have him being imprisoned, then dying shortly afterwards. There are indications, though, that Hisham II may have agreed to another round of fake death. Various sources report that Hisham simply disappeared and was never seen again, while Entertainingly, there is at least one report of him resurfacing many years later. Roger Collins states that a person claiming to be Hisham II served as a front for the rulers of Seville a few years after the fall of Cordoba. Anyway, whether it was at the fall of Cordoba or some years later, we will now wave goodbye to the Caliph Hisham II, a tragic forlorn, hopeless occupant of the throne, who doesn't even really deserve to be called a ruler. He does get a few points, though, for his on-again, off-again exiting of the stage. Is he dead? Yes, he is. Wait, no, he isn't. Yes, he is now. Or is he? I guess for a man who could never make up his mind about anything, he died as he lived, so points for that. With the final exit of Hisham II, the Caliph Suleiman was now the official ruler of the Caliphate. Suleiman realised that he was only in power due to the Berbers having placed him in that position, so Suleiman decided probably correctly, that the only way for him to remain in power would be to make sure the Berbers were happy. Making sure the Berbers were happy basically involved letting them run rampant around Cordoba, doing whatever they liked and punishing people whom they deemed to have supported any anti-Berber leaders while attracting no consequences whatsoever for any of their actions. In an attempt to further appease the Berbers, or perhaps to get the Berbers to move out of long-suffering Cordoba, Suleiman awarded a bunch of governorships of regions across the peninsula to powerful Berber military commanders. However, all this appeasement of the Berbers didn't really work out so well for Suleiman, who was killed by a Berber general in the year 1016 after only three years of rule. For the next 15 years or so, a dizzying array of caliphs came and went, most of them ineffectual leaders who served as the puppets of more powerful men. 
Most met violent ends, and some were only caliph for a short period of time, the record being just 47 days. I won't go into the details about all of these caliphs, as information about them is scant, and the ins and outs of their brief and ineffective periods of rule isn't important for our overall narrative. All you really need to know is that most of the caliphs could boast some link to the Umayyad dynasty, although Interestingly, there were some caliphs who linked their bloodlines to the Prophet, not via the Umayyad family, but through the Idrissid dynasty in northern Africa, who could trace their ancestry back to the Prophet through their descent from the Quraysh. Anyway, none of these caliphs were able to exhibit the leadership qualities needed to unite the fractured caliphate. The final caliph, Hisham III, was expelled from Cordoba in the year 1031. He was not replaced. The caliphate has now come to an end. But don't panic. While the caliphate has come to an end, our Andalus itself will endure. It will in fact fracture into a number of autonomous regional centres, ruled by kings called Taifas. We will examine the rise and operation of the various Taifas in future episodes. Next time, though, we will be leaving our Andalus and travelling to the Christian kingdoms. We have neglected them in recent times while we have been tracking the demise of the Caliphate, so we will take a look at each of them in turn to see how they have been travelling, starting with the Kingdom of Navarre. Until next time, bye for now. This podcast is powered by Patreon. If you can spare $1 per month and would like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com and search for History of the Crusades, or go to our website, crusadespod.com, and click on the Patreon link. Your $1 contribution will mean you get access to an extra episode every fortnight on topics related to the Crusades. And it means that you are powering the History of the Crusades podcast. Thank you to all who have signed up so far. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus.